0: Alleluia.
1: Amen. Thank you Father for Thank you for the grace to have come before you to worship you, in Jesus' precious name. We have worshipped, Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, good evening, everybody, and welcome to our midweek Bible study called "Tribe." Um, for those that are joining us for the first time, so welcome. Pray that as we as we go along in this study, the Lord will bless you and touch you in every area of your life in Jesus' name. Now, um, we've been on the book of Hebrews, and today we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10. And you know, it, um, Good Friday is just two days away, and it's, when, when you go through the book of, of Hebrews chapter 10, I mean, most of the book of Hebrews anyways, but chapter 10 just brings the the reality of, of the cross. That's, it, it focuses on that what Jesus did for us on the cross, and which is what Easter is all about. So I'll quickly dive into the, the Bible reading, and we will then take a discussion from then on. Praise the Lord. OK, chapter 10, it says, the old system under the law of Moses was never a shadow. I mean, it was only a shadow. It didn't preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again year after year but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship if they could have provided perfect cleansing the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshippers would have been purified once and for all and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared but instead Those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will oh God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. For Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will will, was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But the high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant. I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Now verse 19 goes on to say, And so dear brothers and sisters, can we we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we are firm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to act of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refuses to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think about how much worse the punishment, the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and i have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord would judge his people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering in the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you. That will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patience and endurance is what you need. You need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God. To their own destructions. We are the faithful ones whose soul will be saved. The Lord bless the reading of His Word. Amen. So, um, it's it's a whole lot, a lot of verses, and um, we'll, we'll dive right in. You see, like I said earlier on, it's about the reality of the cross, the reality of the sacrifice that that Christ. Made for us on the, on the cross of Calvary, and you see, the, sacrifice in the, in the sacrifices the priests used to make in the Old Testament were just a copy, like 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 the reading says, people working hard in trying to pay the price for their sins. But think about it. Who can pay God? What can you offer to God that actual payment? You see, in the Old Testament, they they were just walking off walking. I mean it was a continual sacrifice again and again and again the thing is our salvation is premised on done and not do just like um, we learned in a, I think a couple of weeks ago now their sacrifices kept them doing but it was never good enough the blood of animals just wasn't capable of paying the price for the sin of man the sin the sins of man the work of man just wasn't capable of redeeming man from The wages of sin. Yes, the Bible says wages of sin is death. The truth is, when when man fell, when um, man fell, death became the consequence of sin and it reigned over the lives of men. From, From then on, everyone was born with a dead spirit and therefore, death had power over man until the appointed time when Jesus came and he defeated death. And you see, the truth is God's words cannot change. And God will not change either. Because it is nature. Instead, instead of God to change. Now, God has, I mean, God has said it. That's why his wage of sin is death, right? So God wasn't going to change it. Yes, as much as he loved man, he wasn't going to change it. Instead, he makes a way. God makes a way. He gives an option, and that is why he made a way after the fall of man by sending Jesus to come and pay the price. There was no way we would have been able to pay that price. The sin had been committed. Um, the spirit in man was dead already. But God made a way. And I mean, if you if you look at John 14, verse 6, that's what Jesus that's what Jesus was saying when he says, i uh, Jesus told them I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 8 verse 4 also, ref, I mean, also uh, references this when he talks about he did this so that the just requirement of the law will be, for, will be fully, fully satisfied for us. Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. We thank God for who He is, even when we make the mistakes. God makes a way for us to get out of that rot. Hallelujah. So you see, the priest kept making those sacrifices. But the truth is, sacrifices only reminded the people of the guilt. He wasn't going to take it away. No matter how many sacrifices, irrespective of the size of the sacrifices, it was just a constant reminder of their guilt, their shame. A reminder of of the deadness of the spirit. That was the man at that time, and you know, apparently, the dead spirit must have come with some kind of weight. It was a, it was a constant reminder. I mean, you can imagine what people had to go through before the sacrifice of Jesus. They had to drag the weight of the dead spirit every day, go back, sacrifice after sacrifice. It probably. Had a spiritual stench, but when Jesus came, Hallelujah! He came. He made the sacrifice, and at that point, he made a way for us. So when we 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 get when we accept Christ at salvation, he just doesn't remove that uh, the weight of the dead spirit. But he pours his own spirit in us. That's why we say baptism into the body of Christ. That spirit comes alive in us. And it's the same spirit that begins to communicate directly with God the Father. You see, the Spirit of God does not remind us of our sins. Or the sins of our forefathers. Rather, he reminds us of the love of our Heavenly Father. Awesome, awesome. I mean... The the blood of, of of animals could never never have done that. Hallelujah! You see, it, um, if I read verse two and three again of Hebrews chapter ten from the Living Bible, it says. Literal puts it this way: He says, if they could have, if they could have, could have one offering would have been enough. The worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and their feeling of guilt would be gone. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their disobedience and guilt instead of relieving their minds. It was a constant reminder. You see, the consciousness of sin is not a gift of the Holy Spirit, but condemnation from the enemy. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The enemy conv- condemns man of sin. Hallelujah. So, um, the Romans 8 verse 1. There's no condemnation to those who belong in Christ. So you see, God doesn't, does not not just want us, doesn't want us to keep remembering our sins, but he expects us to be grateful for salvation. We shouldn't bother about it. A lot of people struggle at this stage. But the truth is, if God doesn't remember, why are you bothered? God says, I will remember their sins no more. At salvation, he wipes the slate clean, but you find out that people struggle because they say, no, my own." you can't understand. Mine, mine was just too much. There's no sin that is too much for the blood of Jesus not to wipe away. There's no sin that is too much that God cannot forget at salvation. So having no more consciousness of sin should actually be the reality for every born-again person. It's not about being conscious of sin. You see, it, it, it it's like uh we sometimes miss the point and the truth in this there's this erroneous thought or of, of, of feeling of guilt or thinking forgiveness of our sins only lasts until the next time we do something wrong. And this has led too so many people into the trap of con men. Of I mean, they call themselves men of God, con men. They begin to tack task these people they begin to tax the people they begin to tell them oh you have to bring this and this and this are you kidding me but but the truth is that's not the true concept of redemption But the fact is at, uh, salvation is for the past present and future right god has i mean jesus paid the ultimate price for us In um, Romans nine verse twelve, I'm reading from the Living Bible. It says, "And once for all, took blood into that inner room, the holy of holies, and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. But it was not the blood of goats and cows. No, he took his own blood, and with it, he by himself made sure of our eternal salvation, once and for all." You see, it's not about, for, for he that is born again, consciousness of sin should not be there. Not that it doesn't mean the person can sin, but you shouldn't be thinking about it. it um, it's similar to somebody that, for a person uh, that, 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 that struggles to eat. Yes, the person would always think about, where will I get the next meal? But for the one that does not struggle to eat, the person only thinks about what will like it. So because we have been saved, because the sacrifice is once and for all, the consciousness of sin should not be an issue for us. It is the confidence of the, of the Holy Spirit that helps us that should constantly be on our minds. So you see, now, does it mean once we are saved, we can we we can go about doing what we like and living a righteous life? If you if you look at if you study Romans chapter six, I mean, you, you, it 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 talks a lot about this. But um, this teaching is not for that. So we can I mean, if you want to know more, register for NCR spiritual growth class and you will take it up from there. But the point is, we cannot go uh, continue. I mean, live just the way we like, just because, hey, um, salvation has come. My past, present, and future sins have been forgiven already. So the point is thinking we have to confess every sin in order to stay in right standing with God makes us sin conscious. Just like offering a new sin, offering every time the Old Testament believers sinned, and this made them sin conscious. We have a better sacrifice that dealt with sin once and for all. We cannot just continually be conscious of the fact that, oh, I have sinned. Oh, I have not. I mean, thank God for the Holy Spirit. So you see, we are not conscious of sin, but rather conscious of the Holy Spirit that guides us through instructions and convictions, but never condemnation. It's the enemy that condemns. And this is where, even as believers, we need to, we need to be conscious of, of who we are. We need to be aware of the things we say. Because you find out that sometimes when people come for help, when somebody is seeking your opinion, if you find yourself condemning that person, you need to check again where you are speaking from. Now, you see, we live in the era where we learn the Holy Spirit to guide us and will come boldly before God our Father every time. The high priests of old could only go into the inner place once a year, right? But we have an advocate who who did not only give us his blood covering. He did not have to make any sacrifice for himself, but rather he fulfilled scriptures in uh, Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8. And he offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice. He did not end there. He offered himself but he's still alive. And guess what? He sits at the right hand of God advocating for us. What else can we truly ask for? He paid the price. Then he sits there and he's advocating for us. You see, salvation Jesus gave us doesn't just say, um, I've paid the price for you. Go when you get into the presence of my father. Tell him, I've paid, you. I've paid the price. I sent you. Mm-mm. He says, come into the presence of the father in my name, covered by my righteousness. And I will be there waiting to speak on your behalf. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) the, the, he, he's seated there advocating for us. Even after he had paid the price for us in the old Testament, the priest keeps knocking every day. They they, they offer animal sacrifices at the altar every day. And once a year, they finally enter into the Holy of Holies, which is the inner chamber, right? But Jesus is sitting there every day, every time, interceding on our behalf, after he had offered his own blood as the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus never leaves you. He does, he paid the price, and he's still with you. Everywhere we go, Jesus is with us. Even when we come into the presence of God the Father, He's there with us. You see, Jesus took away the first commandment so that He could establish the second one that we enjoy today. Praise the Lord. Now, uh, I'll jump to verse 10. Between verse 10 and 14, it says, um, the fact is, Jesus has been honored by God the Father. There's no doubt about it. And the truth is, there's no greater honor than to sit at the right hand of God the Almighty. Remember the sin of the devil, he said, I will ascend as high as, that was Satan's, Lucifer's uh, sin. But guess what? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, right? And to bring this home, the the fact is because he's seated there on God's right hand, all the favors that God bestows on his people are handed to them through Christ. All the praise, all the worship, all the adoration, all the prayers that God has said from, from people are presented through Christ. All that pertains to the kingdoms is administered by Christ because he is the king of kings. That is honor. That is how God honor honored him. And you see, Jesus did not get to this position by virtue of being the fact that he is the son of God. mm it was a reward for his suffering. It was a reward for the price he paid for us, a reward of his show of love for us. And it is an everlasting honor. So we can be rest assured that Jesus will never quit, and neither will he cease to use it for our good. The thing is, he was in God. He came to earth, putting on the flesh of man so that he could pay the price. For us, hallelujah. So you see, that's why the scripture says that his enemies will make his made his footstool. But you can't help but wonder, ah, but Jesus loves us so much. So how will Jesus have enemies? Right? Or um uh, will Jesus want enemies? He loves us, he died for us, even while we were yet sinners. So how come he would want enemies to be his footstool? But you see, the truth is, even though Christ loves us all and he died for us they that refused to accept salvation and are determined to stand with the gates of hell against the church our enemies of not only believers but jesus himself so it is a choice for people to decide that oh they want when you stand against the church the scriptures are clear say the gates of hell will not prevail it's certain that irrespective of the challenges or irrespective of the, of the battles that the church or and believers face, they will not prevail. And guess what? It's not just about them. Not, I mean, um, the gates of hell will not prevail. Believers will prevail. will prevail. The church will prevail. The church will keep going on and on and on. And just like the scripture says, the the neck of the enemies will become the foodstood, has become the footstool of Jesus. Yes, believers will have their feet on the neck of their enemies in jesus name first john 4 verse 4 is very clear on this where it talks about greater is he that's in me and he that's in the world i'll jump to verse 16 quickly um and i'd like to remind us for everyone that has questions please write them down as we go along at the end of the teaching by the grace of god we will be able to answer all your questions. Hallelujah. Okay, from verse 16 it talks about um, the assurance on how far God had gone to ensure we are no longer conscious of sin, but conscious of his presence. Now, the outdated law and covenant just abolished was physically written down. But God says, I will put my laws in their hearts, in their minds. And you see, Fine, there's nothing that's impossible for God to do. But even if God were to physically write these things in our hearts, how are we going to read it if he decides to write it? So what this is referring to now is not God writing it physically in our hearts, but that spirit of God that comes alive in us. It is the spirit that continues to speak to us. When we talk about he will write his laws in our hearts, it is because the spirit that God has that, that, that comes alive in us at salvation, leads us, continually speaks to us. It's about our consecration with God the Father. We get led by the instructions of the Holy Spirit that talks at our hearts, that speaks to our minds, that brings forth revelations in real time. You see, this one the reason why um, you you... In a particular situation, you get a revelation, and in a similar situation, you get a different revelation. That is the living spirit of the most high God that that God puts in our hearts. He puts in us, that speaks to our hearts and our minds. Hallelujah. So you see, we do not do cut and paste. We do not do cut and paste with the new covenant, but as the Spirit leads. This is why we get the strength to do the will of God, and it's no longer a burden to us, even when it's sacrificial. You see? Now, you see our hearts when 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 the spirit of god continues to minister to us this is why our hearts rejoice when we do the will of god even at great cost to our physical bodies and our resources because he has written he has written these things in our hearts we are eager to do the will of god even at a cost to our physical bodies even at the cost to the resources that we hold so dearly hallelujah now because God has written His laws in our hearts, because the Spirit of God is alive in us, is why we can accept the forgiveness of Christ and we live a life free of condemnation, irrespective of who we were, irrespective of what we did before we got saved. Because the truth is, the 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 the, the old covenant required required um, sacrifices of animals, right? But the hearts of people would remain in that vice, that grip of guilt because the dead spirit will continue to weigh down. But when God gives us a new spirit, when the spirit of God comes into our hearts, everything changes. Everything changes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you see, the new covenant gives us a new spirit, wipes away the burdens of the old, and leads us on a path of righteousness, where our past is not only forgiven and forgotten, but at most, when we remember, it's just testimonies to glorify God. This is the story of Easter. Like we've learned in God's Word House over time and time again, it's about the past forgiving, purpose for living, and a home in heaven because. Jesus is alive. And this is what gives us the boldness to enter into the holy place. This is what gives us the boldness to come before God. You see, he has forgiven us. He has a reason for calling us. And he is right there to hold our hands and lead us all the way. So it's, it's a total dependence on, on, on what Jesus did for us that gives us the boldness in our relationship with God in contrast to the fear that always surrounded worship in the Old Testament. Because really, the priests, when they were going into, into the, the inner chambers, yes, yeah, there would be a rope just in case because there was no guarantee that the high priest, when he goes in, he will come out alive. But here we are today. We enter into the presence of God continually. God wants us to be in his presence. And by the grace of God, we are eager to always be in his presence. God speaks. We want to hear God speak. Our hearts are eager to hear him speak. At Mount Sinai, remember when God spoke directly to the people? They trembled. They were scared. Exodus 20 verse 19. Why? Because their hearts were yet to be circumcised because they had yet to receive that spirit that, 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 that I mean the, the living spirit of God. If you look at Proverbs 28, verse 1, Ephesians 3, verse 12, it, 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 I mean, it gives you an idea of what why they were scared. Ephesians 3 12 tells us that because of Christ and our faith in him, that's why we can come boldly. In the Old Testament, and Mount Sinai, they did not have that relationship with Christ. And you see the veil that separated the holy place, the holy place from the the holy of holies in the tabernacle of of the Old Testament. It was torn when Jesus died. Meaning, we now have full access to the presence of God. Now, verse 21 and 22 talks about confidence in Christ, right? And sincerity of heart. When we talk about sincerity of hearts, we're looking at... The question should be, are you there for him or you can get from him? So let's really look at sincerity of hearts for a bit. Why do, you do, why do we do what we do? Why do you do what you do? You see, salvation is based on faith, in the truth about Jesus and the intentions of God for our lives, right? Now, this is why our hearts are, are circumcised at salvation, to take away the guilty conscience of sin because, I mean, (laughs) until salvation, there will always be a void. And when God feels it, there's a calmness that comes in the life of the person. There's a calmness and satisfaction, a confidence in who we are. Right? So, coming to sincerity of heart, why do we do what we do? Do you trust him enough to put everything in his hands? Or you have a plan B? Why are we doing what we are doing? Are we worried that God will not fulfill His promise? Do we get worried that God will not fulfill His promise? Sincerity of heart. What are you doing? What are you rather doing for, for your brother or sister in Christ? What are you doing for the kingdom? I mean, this is what this, this, this part of the verse was just hammering on. Are we really neglecting the assembly of the brethren? When we read this, the scriptures, it says we should we should we should motivate each other. This means, this means we can actually provoke each other to love and to good works in a positive way. Provocation, yes. I mean, if you you look at the definition of provocation, provocation can be in a negative light. But the scripture here is telling us we can provoke people in a positive way to love and to good works. Telling us that the me, myself, and I mentality shouldn't be there. It doesn't help in this regard. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help um, a fellow believer. And so, I mean... If, if if some people would say I've been burnt, I've had this, I've had this experience, so that is why I just come and I do church myself. Or you hear the story of um, churches um, you, churches in the heart. So I really don't have to be in the midst of people to serve God. You need to take a look at verse twenty-four and get rid of the me myself and I mentality. So, I mean, look at verse 24, and now you know it matters. Part of your response is to help others in the faith and for good works. God expects us. God expects us to do it. Now, helping others in the good work takes deliberate effort. You cannot be upset-minded about it. That's a fact. You cannot be. And it takes time. It takes effort. It takes resources to effectively minister to people. It just doesn't happen by accident. We have to be deliberate about these things. Verse 25 says, Don't neglect the assembly of the brethren. Yes, so thank God for church online and social media. But hey, are we supposed to leverage on technology just for our own convenience or to reach people for the work of God's kingdom? Remember in GFH, we say we will do anything apart from sinning to reach people for Christ. Now, the truth is, we shouldn't neglect the assembly of the brethren just because we have the alternative of uh, attending service online. Wednesday drive, it's online. That's understandable. Sunday service. Are you a worker? Are you working remotely in church? Those are questions we need to we need to think about. You see, it's a lot of times it's always about. I mean, we fall into this, things like this happen because, yeah, we begin to look at our comfort, our comfort, our comfort. But the the truth is, God expects us to be willing to give back. And really, what does it take from you to give back into the kingdom of God? Remember, David was one person that God was always impressed with. And he said, he will not offer to God anything that does not cost him something. So if you ask yourself, is your time and energy too expensive for God's kingdom? Is it too expensive to give? The truth is, if you struggle with giving or doing something for the kingdom, ask yourself, what would happen if you didn't even have the time or the resources or the luxury you are holding on to that you don't want to use, you don't want to give? Or if you were to lose it, will you disappear from the face of the earth? You see, everyone is saved for a purpose. Do you know why you were saved? You see, for the person that... For, for, I don't know, for, for anybody that, that that that's watching that is yet to have this relationship with, with Christ, God has a plan and purpose for you. And do not let this opportunity pass you by. I'll... Um, we're, we're fast running out of time, so I'll just make a few references to to the verses that we have left. Verse 26 takes us to, to another level though, where the scripture refers to as continue, what what the scripture refer to as continue sinning in this part? Isn't it a contradiction to the fact that we are saved by his sacrifice? So we do not need to be saved again. God the truth is salvation changes you by baptism into the body of Christ, which gives you a new spirit. It gives you a circumcised heart. But the flesh actually remains what it is. It's our responsibility to allow the spirit to lead us instead of the flesh. It's our responsibility to see the spirit grows while the flesh diminishes. We live in a broken world and the fact is the flesh is needed to remain in this broken world. And it's desperate to have its way. That's the heart of man. But character is actually formed and shaped by deliberate actions we know that so we have to allow the leading of the spirit change our character so salvation alone because i mean because salvation alone will not change our character salvation brings the spirit of god alive in us we allow the spirit to lead us so our character begins to change and for, uh, we are eager to do the will of of god because if we don't do that, it's similar like, to having knowledge and not making an impact on it. I'll quickly jump to verse 29 when it says, I mean, verse 29 further establishes, um, it talks about um, people who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if they were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit. This is talking about judgment and eternal life. We will always, look, it will always be there. God made a way, does not mean he says, oh, judgment has been uh, taken off the table. He made a way for us to come back to him. He made provisions for us to remain with him. So we will not be on the other side. And this is not actually talking of Christians that that are repentant. It's talking about those that have renounced their faith in the Lord. Those that all of a sudden they, they decide that, oh, they hate, I mean, they no longer believe in God. Talking about people who sin because they hate, because they hate God. And they want to grieve the, the, the Son of God and frustrate what He has, what He did for them as much as possible. Truly, there are people like that. You'll be surprised how people think. You'll be surprised what people do today. Especially in, in um, oh well, let me not go into that. You see, the fact is a dangerous thing to ignore this the Holy Spirit. It is a dangerous thing. Now we've we'll jumped to verse 32. It says um, it talked about um the 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 excitement um that, that we felt initially because the truth is. After the excitement of salvation comes the reality of discipleship. Salvation doesn't cost you anything, but discipleship will cost you everything. The truth is God has not changed. He only allows us to start doing the work with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit, right? It takes us through processes. It takes us through life where we we He, he, trains, our, our, he trains us for what is ahead. He trains us. To begin to do things that we ought to do right. And it is our responsibility to remain focused and not fall into the trap, the Jews like the Jews when they left when they left Egypt and they were thinking about their longing for the onions and the garlic of, of Egypt. It's about trusting God. I mean, when you when you as you grow in, in Christ, as you walk with God, you find out that it's more of your trust. You have to keep trusting. God expects or wants us, or rather he doesn't want us to stop trusting him. He expects us to keep trusting him. He wants us to remember that he has brought us thus far. He took us across the Red Sea, so he's more than able to take us across the Jordan. Especially in, in, in in today's world, where everybody wants to take a swipe at the church, people begin to struggle to defend their faith. But God wants us to be steadfast, wants us to be bold in our faith. And I'll um, wrap up with, from verse 36 to 39, talks about patient endurance is what we need. Patience means a state of not being agitated. What is making you agitated? What is making you worried? Think about it. Is God not able to do what you think is able? Is God not able to do what you think? Or do you think God is not willing to do it? You see, endurance talks about, when we talk of endurance, we talk of resilience. And and, and it's about reliance on God to overcome the challenges that we face. So what if you have to slay giants to get into the land? Is God not able to take you through those battles? I want us to to, to really think about it. The, the, The Jews, it was one thing after another. One thing after another. And sometimes we're faced with situations where it seems like after crossing the Red Sea, after fighting a couple of battles, just when you think, oh, okay, I'm sure I'm getting into the promised land now, that land that God has promised me, then you still see the walls of Jericho standing tall in your way. What do you do? Now, to, to let's assume to make things even worse. You're out there in the blazing heat. The wall of Jericho is standing tall. It seems like the son is extra motivated to... Is extra motivated so the heat feels like uh, if you have an egg in your hand, it will boil from the heat that is coming from your body. Seth. I mean from the sweat coming from your body. What do you do? Will you give up? When And the Holy Spirit says, walk around the city, just like the, the, the Israelites did. So do you give up on that or you continue to trust the Lord will come true for you? You see, God works in times and seasons. He has always worked in time in times and seasons, and it's our responsibility to wait for it while it is nature to make it come to pass. We wait in faith and we trust in his nature that he is God. The nature of God his nature that he will not fail us his nature that made provisions for our souls to be saved he that gave up his own son for us to be saved will not let us down and this chapter closes by summarizing it all when it says those who live by faith in our savior are saved from all their sins once and for all but those who reject the savior are damaged, and uh, the concluding verse shows the writer has faith that those that are reading this book, that as we study this book, every believer go studies this book uh, because our souls are already saved, and for for anyone that is yet to to have to to, uh, to to accept Christ as his Lord and Savior. Everyone has yet to receive salvation. I pray that you will do so today even as we, even before the end of the service. If you, if you, I mean, if you want to give your life to Christ, thinking about these things, what Jesus did for us. This is Easter. This is the, I mean, we celebrate, this is when we celebrate what he did for us. This is when we celebrate the fact that we can boldly come into the presence of God. Is when we celebrate the fact that irrespective of what we see, he has made us victorious. There's no better time than now. And I pray that everyone has been part of this study so far, today's teaching, part of Hebrews, that will remain steadfast in the Lord in Jesus' name. So even as we I mean, that's we've come to the end of chapter 10. So we'll, uh, we'll quickly dive into our questions. Let's see if we have questions. But while we're waiting for for questions, Pappy is going to join us while we wait for the questions to come in. Welcome, Pastor. Yeah, thank you. Nice, nice to have you here.
0: <laughs> Good to be here, sir.
1: Yeah. Um, chapter ten. I mean, I, I I'll, I'll say it's uh, about the reality of the cross. Loaded. <laughs> Exactly.
0: It, it, I see you struggling with I see you struggling with time, trying to fit everything. In.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I mean, it's I want to talk about let's let's go way back. You see, by the grace of God, we we live in this time where we live on the other side of salvation now, where we Jesus has paid the price for us already. Now, for people like David. Oh. At the point, David played the role of priest. He was a king. He played the role of priest at the point. Now
0: Makes sense.
1: <laughs> Exactly. Now I was saying how I wonder how David had have, have coped. How did he get such revelation? Is it just because his heart was totally sold out to God? Or God had already had a plan that this is the guy? Because David did not experience the, I mean, the salvation that the cross has, has given us. Instead, he kept prophesying about
0: it, what we are going to experience. So how did David do it? Yeah. Well, I, I think that with everything with God, now, we must realize that God doesn't change. God has not changed. It's the same God in the Garden of Eden, the same God all through the centuries, and it's the same God after Christ came. So, God always always looks at the heart whether regardless of the dispensation from the old dispensation new dispensation prior to the old dispensation god always looks at the heart so the heart of the person is a huge determinant to how far they can go with god David had an amazing heart. And he just wanted God's heart. So David, even though he was um, in the old dispensation, David operated as though he was in the new dispensation because he had access to the things in God that is only made available to us today. They didn't even have a clue, but David could work in it. So there's a difference between going to church and having a walk with God. Exactly. Going to church should facilitate and enable your walk with God. However, hmm, going to church is not the fact that you go to church doesn't even make you saved. Talk less of having, having a walk with God. So, but if you have a walk with God, you will do things that the people around you cannot even understand. For instance, I have people in the, we have people in the new covenant that are actually behaving um, as though they are in the old covenant, I think. I'm saying, I'm (laughs) saying. I wasn't sure what happened there. But hey, <laughs> you know, uh is it's is the is the few things that happen in Nigeria. You know, we have this, we, we, we perform miracles, we have a way of picking people disappear. Come back. I'll come back. I'll come back. Um, I'll come back again. So so we have people in the new covenant that are working with God as do they are in the old covenant. So, someone like David could work with God because the way he did, because he was too into God than into the law. So, for instance, David would say they would see the bread in the in the holy place the table of shoe shewbread that is just for the priest. David will say, give it to me and my boys. And it is not out of a place of dishonor to God and to the things of God. It is because he understood who he was in God and he transcended the laws. Now, if somebody else did that, the person would be in trouble. Brings us back to the heart. He he had the confidence that my father would understand that I need this bread. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) So, I mean, and I can begin to talk about different dimensions of it. You know, but the key thing is the best thing you can do for yourself is Seek to have a tangible walk with God by yourself. So take it, the teaching that we've heard today. A, um, um, by the way, great job, Pastor Sote. You, you did well. Amazing justice to that, to that chapter. Now, um, um, your job is to take what you have heard and wrestle with it in your heart until you establish a pattern with God with what you have heard. For instance, we heard Pastor Sute say something like, after the excitement of salvation comes the reality of discipleship. You need to take that. Take that back to God. And what is my reality of following Jesus? Pastor Sute also said, salvation costs you nothing. But discipleship will cost you everything. <laughs> I learned that from NCR. <laughs> what do you say? I learned that from NCR. Okay, so you learned that from, from me, then. So <laughs> and I'm hearing it from you, and it sounded so fresh, you know. So I feel as if I, I mean, I heard it for the first time, you know. So and that is it with the word of God. You also said earlier on in this teaching that. You, you can be in the same situation and God will tell you a different thing, different way to go. So, it is not copy and paste. It is a tangible, real, dynamic walk with God. And that's beautiful. Man, thank you,
1: sir. You're welcome. Okay. Um, I, I, I want us to, I mean... Just zone into um, verse 23 and 24. Let me read it again from NLT. It says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And this is... um, why I'm talking about this is, in today's world, you find out that it seems like everybody's almost in competition with the other person, oh. even in church. It oh. seems like the churches are in competition with each other. Oh. We can't just do things together. And within, if, if you are not careful how you how you give the counsel,
0: oh.
1: it might look like, uh, are you sure you don't have bad belly for me? Oh. I mean, I want us to just, I mean, talk a little more on things like this. Because the mindset goes a long way. It brings us back to that mindset thing again.
0: It's a big issue. Um, You said verses 23 and 24, right? Yes. Holding tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate. One another to acts of love and good works. So, yeah, it's a big issue because I was even having a, um, chatting with um, one of my daughters yesterday about how um, she was bothered with the pepidem spirit she's seen in church. You know, so churches, so, so your brother that is, you know, that you're supposed to be helping because you think you have an advantage. You are saying you want to prepare him, or you want to prepare her, you want to prepare them. I will right. show them fire. I will prepare them. That is the spirit of the devil. Nothing has nothing to do with Christ. Nothing to do with Christ. The spirit of Christ is: How do I make you better? How do I serve you? Sacrificial. How do I take what is an advantage to me and turn it into an advantage for you? Exactly. That is the spirit of Christ. And that is what God has called us to. So, what, the first thing is to be aware of this spirit. The second thing is to be aware that it is the wrong kind of spirit, the wrong kind of art, <clears throat> the wrong kind of art, attitude. so if it comes across or, or, or we come across it, even in our own hearts, we're able to check it and say, no, I'm not gonna go in that direction. The same way is temptation is not sin. It is yielding to it that is sin. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head. Okay, you get the thought, okay, you have a new car. I am now going to come and park in front of the church so that everybody, once they come out, you know, they will see me. It is the kind of spirit. It is the spirit of arrogance. It has nothing to do with Christ. You are off again, Pastor Sote. I can't. I can't hear your laughter. You know. <laughs> so, um, so we need to understand that first and foremost. Now, of course, it's it's it is so pervasive. It's, 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 I mean, so churches are in competition with each other. You know, um, because we have um, we are getting to a place where you know, oh, we want to outdo the other church. Oh, the other pastor wants to outdo the other pastor because um, the people from in this church moving to people from that in, moving into that church. So this church thinks, oh, this church is trying to steal my people. So what are they doing? I need to outdo whatever they are doing. It's just madness. So if people leave god bless them it means that we have served them they are not going back to the world <laughs> if they're not going back to the world it's not a loss if if <clears throat> if i have trained someone and the person knows they are left from their right, and the person decides to leave me or leave the work or leave us from, praise god for everyone that leaves god is bringing 10 others exactly so Mark, we love you. And our arms are still wide open in (laughs) case you want to come back. But the point is this: it will never, never make us start competing with other churches. We are who we are, we are our DNA, we are we are so unique, it's unbelievable. We cannot even be any other church. So when people realize that, and when people work in that in their personal life it it flows in the community it flows in the church then it is people that become pastors then it flows into churches and we now have churches that cooperate instead of competing
1: exactly exactly thank you sir and I mean, I'll say even within the church. You see, I think it's a case of until people get to that point where it makes them happy when they see other people happy,
0: oh. the
1: Pepper them thing will always be there. The mm-hmm. the, the issue of um, there's there's something. One of my 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 old classmates was telling me recently about. Um, Some of our colleagues, uh, former classmates that decided to do, went into business together. You know? And all of a sudden, it seemed like money was going to come in. And one of the guys just realized that he has always been richer than these boys. So if this money comes in, so these boys will be rich too? (laughs) The guy spoils the whole thing. He spoils it. How can can these boys now make money? No respect again. You see, it's the, it's a heart of... I don't see the difference between that and a believer that just feels, if I share with this person, this person will now know what I know. So,
0: I'd rather just be... Uh-huh. <laughs> then you become, you become the Dead Sea. You be, exactly. Yeah, you become the Dead Sea. You know, at the end of the day, nothing grows in that person because you keep... Um, um, Get saturated, and that's it. Um, you keep, you keep, you know. So, and the concept of the, 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 uh, the mind, the heart of not wanting to see other people thrive is, is heavily demonic. And it is, while it is human... It is, it is, uh, human nature is susceptible to it. It is that it is mainly, I mean, seen among the black man. That thing you said about your brother, your, your friend, that says, I've always been richer than this, but all my other guys. If we do this deal together, these boys too will touch money. It is the crab mentality. It is, it is <laughs> you want to be the, to Lone Star, you know, the one dishing out cash to help them. You know, for all you know, it may even be a generous guy, is willing to give them money and give them and that and help them cut a check of half a million for them here and there. That's respect. That's respect, you know. <laughs> respect, you know. <laughs> madness, you know, total madness, you know. So, we, we, we God expects us to serve with everything we have, with all our resources, exactly. with all our time, with all our energy, with all our, you know, God expects us to serve. Hallelujah. Amen.
1: Okay, thank you, sir.
0: Thank you, Pastor um, um, Well done. You did an amazing job today again. Um, God bless you. Um, thank you, everybody. And... um the lord bless you and keep you amen the lord make his face shine upon you and amen. be gracious unto you amen the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace amen as who shall it be amen In jesus mighty name we have prayed amen amen so god's free house this is our year of lifting and we are lifted all hallelujah. the way hallelujah